the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week our focus was on the Dieselgate scandal in Germany, which has rocked the industry. Could this scandal topple one of the big auto giants or are they simply too big to fail? Our Berlin correspondent Derek Scally will take you through the scandal and tell us why Volkswagen and Daimler held emergency board meetings this week. Later in the show you'll hear from Laura Slattery about the revelations on pay for top broadcasters at the BBC. What does this tell us about gender equality at the Beeb, And what are the spillover implications for RTE? Before we begin, let me remind you that you can download this podcast for free from iTunes and it's also available on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Derek Scally in Berlin, thank you for joining us, Derek. We've heard over the past, uh, well, the past number of months, I suppose, about the diesel emissions scandal, uh, which began in the US and entrapped uh, the likes of uh, VW and other car makers. And we discovered how they were cheating their tests in in terms of uh, emissions from the diesel cars. We now have allegations of cartel behaviour, which have emerged in Germany and crisis board meetings, I believe, at Volkswagen and Daimler, which you've been following. Tell us the background to that. Yes, uh, this crisis meeting is going on in Volkswagen and Daimler. They're the two two of the big uh, German five car companies. But what we learned on Friday, thanks to their Spiegel magazine, is that executives from those two companies and several other have been meeting very regularly behind closed doors for 14 years. Um, and these meetings uh, were to discuss everything from convertible roofs to uh, tanks containing the fluid that was supposedly to be used to uh, make uh, diesel emissions slightly less toxic than they were. And everything from steel purchases um, and metal purchases and uh, all, all sorts of backroom behaviour that apparently uh, may or may not be legal. Uh, if, if uh, as the claims suggest, this was going against uh, this is anti-cartel behavior, anti-competitive behavior. Uh, German consumer uh, organizations are saying, well, there might not be just there might not be a, a payout on diesel emissions, but there could be a big uh, payout coming down the road for car owners if they feel their cars were overpriced or that these companies were uh, colluding behind their backs. And not, let's not forget uh, the European powerful competition commissioner. Um, she has uh, already got Google on her radar, and uh, with and indeed Apple. Who is, Indeed, and anyone who is uh, in breach of European competition regulations uh, has to set aside 10% of their annual turnover and hand it over to the European Commission. So uh, this is just a, a second whammy coming to uh, the German car companies. For the last two years, it's been like a slow strip tease who's been fiddling their car emissions. Next week, we were supposed to have a, a crisis meeting over diesel uh, here in Berlin with the transport minister uh, uh, calling in various regional leaders and also the car companies. But now it's turning into a real sort of an existential meeting because uh, let's not forget the, the car industry in Germany. It's it's too big to fail, really. It, it employs almost a million people, uh, about 23 percent of Germany's total exports. We're talking 400 billion euro annually comes from this car industry. And uh, if anything, anything like what were the allegations, if any of that is true, um, the diesel scandal was really just uh, was really just the opening act. And just remind us, Derek, where we're at in terms of the diesel scandal. How much in fines, for example, has VW paid out or agreed to pay out? I'm afraid I have no idea what they've agreed to pay out. I'm not on top of the fines, particularly in the US. But what we know from Europe is that European law does not allow anything like the kind of class action. Um, European consumer law is actually far, has far fewer teeth than the US um, 
consumer law, which may surprise many Europeans who often think that the US is uh, is, is more sla- uh, more um, haphazard on this. But in Europe, the uh, car makers have basically come out and said, oh, yes, this is a diesel issue and we will provide software updates. But many of the software updates are being rolled out. Nobody's sure when they'll be rolled out. And um, nobody's sure if uh, the resulting updates, uh, which will supposedly make the uh, emissions uh, meet uh, the the test results uh, on the road, whether that will have an effect on engines. And if that has an effect on engines, then the question of uh, compensation later on, if if your diesel claps out ahead of time. Time, uh, can you go back to the car company? So this is all coming together at these, from these car companies from various angles, and the final, uh, the final coup de grace for German car companies could be environmental law because. Obviously, if these diesel engines are dirtier than they claim to be, they're polluting city air more than they should. And if city air doesn't meet European emission standards, well, many German cities, including the home towns like Munich and and Stuttgart, the home of BMW and Daimler, they're actually in court uh, in the coming months to uh, improve the quality of their air. And if they can't improve the quality of the air, they say they're going to have to ban diesel. So if I was a German car executive, I it's just it, it's not rained. It's it's actually pouring very heavily, pretty much like the weather in Germany at the moment. Right, okay. And of course, the UK has announced that it plans to ban uh, both diesel and petrol cars from 20, 2040. I think uh, a similar ban is coming into place in Paris down the track as well. So the future is pretty bleak for these car makers. Well, this is the issue, and it's almost the irony that um, German car companies and German politicians, they've been a very... Uh, they, they were a well-oiled uh, team. Uh, Merkel, Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, and all of her predecessors would be considered you know, the greatest lobbyists for the car industry whenever it came to any any new regulations in Brussels, for instance. But now the, the question is whether or not this political uh, lobbying on behalf of the German car industry helped them or hurt them. Because many would say that uh, uh, the German car makers have missed a trick on e-mobility and on electric cars. We're going to see uh, the first mass-produced Tesla car produced at the end of uh, coming on stream at the end of this week. German car companies have nothing like this. So the issue is whether politicians have uh, over the years with their um, energetic lobbying on the car on behalf of the car industry, whether they helped the car industry or hurt them, uh, getting taking the curve on e-mobility and moving them into the 21st century. And has the German government been has it said anything on these cartel? allegations that have emerged in recent days? No, but uh, we've got an election coming here in September. So this is exactly the type of uh, out of control story they really didn't want ahead of that Angela Merkel running for fourth term. Um, Anything at all that endangers uh, German economic strength uh, will be bad for her. We just saw record um, business confidence numbers out yesterday. German companies have never been so optimistic, apparently. Well, some people are wondering if that isn't the pride before the fall, whether this is all starting to get out of control. The wheels are starting to come off the German car industry and a bit like the Great Gatsby, you know, this starts to fall apart quite slowly and then quite quickly. All right, we'll see how it plays out in the, the months and years ahead. Derek Scally, thank you for joining us. We'll take a short break now. When we return, I'll be joined in studio by Laura Slattery of the Irish Times to talk about gender pay gaps at the BBC and RTE. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. 
Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can download this podcast for free from iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. I'm joined in studio now by Laura Slattery, the Irish Times media reporter who joins me to talk about pay for the top talent at the BBC and RTE. Uh, now, Laura, thank you for joining us. The media, ironically enough, uh, very much in the spotlight over pay. Normally, they're shining the spotlight on corporations or other companies in terms of their pay policies, but uh, the focus is very much on media companies. Now, public service broadcasts started off with the BBC and what they were paying their top presenters and the gap between what uh, the top male presenters and broadcasters and the top uh, women were being paid. And then the focus switched uh, very quickly to RTE and the gap that exists, obviously, between male and female pay at the very top uh, there as well. Just take us through the... Take us through the, the background to this, yeah. some of the numbers and the significance of it. So the background to this is, um, well, RTE has been in the habit of publishing its top 10 earners in recent years. And the information's backdated and only comes out every Quite two years. Quite a bit years. backdated, it must be Yeah, so. it's, it's, it's not up, totally up-to-date information that, of course, us in the rest of the media would love to have a slightly uh, up-to-date picture. But for the first time, um, the BBC was obliged to publish um, every salary above £150,000. Uh, um, and that was under the terms of their charter renewal. So it was kind of basically forced upon them by the Conservative government. And, you know, like there is uh, certainly a very uh, valid argument that, you know, it's it's useful for a, a political party like the Conservatives that wants to sort of it's a have... Stick with which yeah, it's a stick to beat the BBC, let's face Yeah, which they can beat the BBC with. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, uh, although there are many reasons why, you know, uh, you might, might find, you know, it's a little bit distasteful, the, the invasion of privacy and, or, or, the, or the wider agenda, shall we say. Um, it is nevertheless, you know, in the public interest, I think, to know exactly how uh, public service broadcasters are spending their money. And this is another part of that. So there were 96 people um, at the BBC and this is on air talent. Essentially. Now, these are people directly employed by the BBC or with a direct relationship yeah. Those who were working for production companies, for example, managed to get around. So we only got a, a partial insight. Yeah. So, for example, into what Graham Norton earns. Yes, we didn't get. We don't know. I mean, we can assume that actually Graham Norton probably earns more than Chris Evans overall. Uh, his well, TV, his television, <laughs> his television show, his chat show, it goes through a company called So Television, which is actually owned by ITV. So that wasn't part of his salary disclosure. Just his radio, his radio work and his Eurovision work was. Uh, and there also there were people like you know missing in action, such as actually there was an unusual one where. Um, Mel Giedroyd was on the list uh, but her partner in crime Sue Perkins uh, wasn't and I don't. that's not because Sue Perkins isn't paid uh, a, a, a good money it's because she goes through it goes through a production company um, So Graham Norton was in the 850 to 899,999 category Yeah and uh, So this worked directly for the BBC Yeah and there was another Irish person on the list high up the list uh, Stephen Nolan who might have been might have been surprised to uh, mm. Some people in Britain who weren't familiar with him, but he's uh, a lot of people in Northern Ireland. I would, suspe- I would suspect, in uh, terms well, of the, the the size of his salary. Well, um, it certainly was. <laughs> yeah, now him. of course it's not just for his work for BBC yeah. Northern Ireland. He has a, a program on BBC Ra- Radio Five. Live yeah, I mean, people love so. nothing more than to delve through these figures and, and, and say, "Oh my God, I can't believe he's on that, and I can't believe she's only on this, or 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 she doesn't mm. deserve that, or you know, how how how's you know they go through it one by one and." But I think one of the clearest trends was that, you know, it was dominated by white men. Um, there was only 10 uh, people of uh, British, uh, Asian or minority ethnic uh, backgrounds on the list. And of the 96 people, only 34 were women. And that's not good enough. I mean, it's for a public uh, body to basically allocate uh, the, the, the top rewards to 
to men mm. in, to, in such a stark numbers. Yeah. It's just, it's just the, 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 that's, you know, that, that's might have been fine in so the 1970s, but does, not anymore. Do, does this tell us there's an institutional bias towards white men, let's say, um, and against women think, and minorities? Well, or does it tell us that, for example, um, they might just have some very bad negotiating agents. Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture of reasons. I think there obviously was uh, instances where the negotiation on on the part of some of the Mm. female news uh, presenters uh, it just wasn't successful. A lot of people would be surprised, for example, that Emily Maitlis isn't getting 150 grand or more. Yeah, I mean, and and the thing was, there was such a gap between her and Evan Davies, who is the lead presenter on on Newsnight. But, you know, know, Kirsty Wark was on the list and it it was very strange that that Emily Maitlis wasn't on the list, but she wasn't the only one. I think some of the the, the, the most clear-cut uh, gap was actually on in, in the within BBC News uh, foreign correspondents because there were quite a, f- a good few not everyone everyone but quite a good few male uh, foreign correspondents were on the list were earning more than one hundred fifty thousand pounds but people like uh, Ireland's uh, Orla Gearan, uh Lisa Doucette, uh, uh were not and these are people with huge experience so you can't make the experience argument to say they're not as experienced as you know mm. John Sopel the North America editor who was earning a, a fine amount. And there was a, a host of other uh, very experienced women, the China editor, uh, Carrie Gracie, the Europe editor, Katya Adler, and they weren't on the list. And so as a result, you know, these were some of the women who signed, 45 women from the BBC signed a letter to, to Director General uh, Tony Hall. Emily Maitlis was among them as well, um, saying, you need to act now. And there's no point saying, you know, palming this off to the future. This, this is actually a situation that's in- intolerable. And okay, you know, I know that there's uh, a, maybe a lack of sympathy for people who are who are uh, quite well paid anyway. But I think it is reflective of the status that a public body and a media company like the BBC affords to women, and and with RTE as well. Um, you know, we've seen in the past it's usually two out of ten of the top ten presenters are women. We might get three next time. But it's it's you'll you'll never sort of yeah. get any kind of parity. Sure. Well, now it must be said that Emily Maitlis uh, was also uh, much less paid than Laura Kunisberg, uh, for a- example. And you know, you would see well, political editor is a, probably a key role. So I would expect Laura Kunisberg to be paid well. But just just to go back to your point on negotiations, uh, I suppose Laura Kunisberg might have uh, uh, sort of got higher up the list at some point because she there was a transfer of value. She came in. From she, she had a brief mm. stint as as ITV business editor before actually going to Newsnight. First. So the free market is at uh, play here as well. Because Emily Maitlis has done a lot of political coverage. She's covered the US election, British election. She did the Scottish referendum, uh, etc. A couple of years ago. I think basically what's happening, what's going to happen, is that Emily Maitlis, her, she's out of contract at the moment, and her I think her next contract will be <laughs> substantially better than the, the the last one because I, I don't think they actually mm. I don't think they want to lose her. And after this uh, uh, news story. They're not going to be want to to be seen to to lose her to lose her. Sure. Now the other thing is whether he was a man or a woman, Gary Lineker uh, was being paid one point eight million for presenting yeah. a highlights show uh, that lasts what about an hour or so yeah. on a, a Saturday night. Now I know he does a couple of other bits and bobs, the sports uh, awards a, of the year, and, and so figures, forth. So there was a there was a tournament last year. So yeah, look, I mean, I, funny enough, Gary Lineker is the name I've heard around the office, quite, the Irish it's Times office, quite a rope, bit. <laughs> Obviously, people feel that they can uh, present match of the day just as well as Gary Lineker. Well, look, um, he was. I'm uh, happy to give it a go for <laughs> half the salary, Laura. I'm I'm happy to give it a go. I think I could give it a go. Uh, you know, uh, Gary Lineker is 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 uh, uh, <laughs> you know. 
look, there is an argument that it's a special case because, mm. you know, he's coming from the world where he can command absolutely insane amounts of uh, of money uh, in, uh, in his past career. But but also... Um, and of course, you know, he's he also works, working for BT on Champions yeah, League. Yeah, and he said he's turned down other offers uh, and they maybe they made a decision. But again, quite why, you know, if he, if he also said, well, I, you know, I've turned down higher offers, I love to, I, I want to work for the BBC, then well, quite why they can't say, okay, can you love to do it for half of what you're on now and give poor Claire Balding and some of these uh, Gabby Logan Sue Barker uh, a bit of a pay rise uh, mm. <laughs> uh, that you know why it can't be more evenly split and of course you know a portion of the of, of, of the bill that's saved should obviously be going to some of the backroom uh, production staff um, the people who aren't on air who, who, who aren't celebrities don't have bargaining power but should be paid a fair rate for their work because I think you know the media as, as a sector salaries both in the UK and Ireland you know it's 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 deflation time it's not no, no you know there's very few people sort of coining it it's the, the media has you know salaries of, of the trend is for, for journalists certainly has been on a downward uh, spiral and in broadcast production, I'm pretty sure mm. it's a similar pattern. And it's also very, there's lots of very um, uncertain uh, uncertain working conditions, um, short-term contracts, which actually affects uh, female yeah. representation in the workplace sure. as well. Well, look, the spotlight was then turned on to RTE and obviously the media uh, suddenly started asking questions yeah. about comparisons uh, in RTE. And we discovered that Sharon Violon, for example, uh, was being paid substantially less than Brian Dobson, even though they're effectively co-anchors on the 6-1 news. So yeah, hats off to the Sunday Independent. Um, they had a bit of fun at the weekend. I mean, they just basically rehashed uh, the uh, RTE top 10 list, earners list that actually came out uh, March of last year. And as I say, they relate to 2014 figures. And they married that to uh, an inqu- inquiry to, to Sharon Eviola and asking her if, if it was still the case that Brian Dobson was being paid she's, twice. She's normally very uh, reticent as, about talking yes, about her career and, and about she, her, her private life. I think she's still reticent. She couched her remarks in a, you know, I'd rather not uh, share my private details. However. Uh, <laughs> I find that abhorrent, I think she might have said. But um, however, she, she believes that uh, uh, she believes that, that uh, gender pay equality is an important social issue. Um, so she said that the gap ha- wasn't quite double as it had been in the past, but that she, you know that that there was still a gender pay gap, uh, which uh, the in the Sindo then calculated as being between sixty and eighty grand uh, between herself and her and Brian Dobson, who they both present six one. Of course, now he's been there for longer. I think he's there twelve years longer, perhaps or or more. He's he's certainly got more experience. He's older. Um, but should 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 that factor be so? so high when they essentially do do the same job and in fact she's been the lead presenter uh, in recent months mm. uh, and this other examples you know should should the, ba- the basic point is the top 10 we have Marion Finucane and we have Miriam O'Callaghan and then we have eight men and uh, you know Ortiz has been sort of pushed into, into saying that they're going to be uh, updating this list now later this year mm, when they I mean, that list is three years old yeah it might have so, changed uh, I can tell you now how it will change next time Ray Darcy has since joined so he should be on the next list and he'll be up the top there near Ryan Tuberty I imagine uh, and um, Calm Hayes who was who was uh, the ninth best paid uh, Calm Hayes of 2FM fame uh, or, or, or not fame as it might be he's since left the station um, so he won't be on the list and imagine Claire Byrne, who wasn't there in a full year in 2014, mm. she took some maternity leave. She might be there or thereabouts. Um, but certainly, then you, it's, 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 it, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of well-paid men, and there's a lot of women who've been in RT for a lot for which who, who have 
you know, huge experience like Anya Lawler, uh, Mary Wilson, uh, and, and they're they're nowhere to be seen on this. So, and I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if 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 they if you know they have concerns. Um, as we've seen that Sharon Yeah, but Golan hold on, that list now uh, was produced in 2014. So eight men, two women. Mm. Mary Wilson and Anya Lawler and others would have known you know, precisely where where the game was at, if you like, in terms of who was best paid at that yeah. point. You know, they're free to leave, aren't they? They're free to go and, and get a better, negotiate a better contract somewhere else if they feel that RTE isn't paying them the market value. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, but there's also there is a there is a legal uh, obligation uh, on employers not to discriminate on the grounds of gender, and I think that and is that it, the accusation against RTE? Uh, well, I think um, the, the a, an organisation that let's face it is led by a woman, the Director General. Yeah, D. but Forbes, I don't think that's anything. And Moya Doherty is the chair. I mean, it's hard to imagine yeah. that they would oversee an organisation that was gender biased. Well, look, it's it, look. It's it's very hard to to separate all these things, but I, I mean it's it's there's no guarantee that uh, just because the the chief executive or or whatever title the leader of an organization is female that you know every fe- female in, in in an organization is being say, paid the same as a man that that just just you know time and time again that hasn't that mm. hasn't happened. But we only have the salaries for the top ten, so we don't know, for example, if we Mary Wilson is getting the same as you know somebody doing a, an equivalent role within RTE presenting a drive time program. We don't know. And that's why it's um it's 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 very healthy as a result of uh the BBC uh pay disclosures and um Sharon, what Sharon Violon said and I commend her completely for saying it um that we're now going to have a, a gender equality review a review of gender equality at RTE. And I believe that other organisations and certainly other public organisations should be following suit. We've seen a little bit with the universities. It did not make flattering uh, reading for the universities. Um, I would like to see mm. other public bodies doing the same. Semi-state companies and so forth, because we really don't have an awful lot of information no. from, from those and companies. And without information, you know, nothing will change. And, you know, you talk to women, uh, <laughs> they, they really are, you know, they're, 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 they're not happy. <laughs> Uh, really, they are not happy with the, with with the state of of of, of workplace uh, pay, and in Mind the UK, there's probably it should be said there's probably a lot of men who aren't happy with their pay either. That's true. That's true. Uh, but in the in the UK, we are they are they've implemented a gender uh, pay audit. This is where companies of 250 staff or more have to publicise on their website by next April, in, in, completely anonymised uh, information. Um, on uh, you know how they pay men and how they pay women, and if there's a pay gap, they have they have to explain why. And I think that's it because you know there's a, a gender pay gap in Ireland is about fourteen percent, but that that's a, it's what we call an unadjusted figure, so it doesn't reflect the work that's being done. So you know if you if you have to sort of say well it's because the men are doing higher value work, then the next question is well then why is it higher value work? Because sometimes what happens is when a woman does uh, uh, what is uh, uh, was traditionally a high pay, high prestige job, it suddenly somehow becomes lower paid and lower prestige job. Um, so like on that note, uh, it's good news this, this this list or the BBC list rather for the new Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker, because she could now see exactly what oh, what's she gonna earn? her male. I, I, I should ask you because you're a Doctor Who fan, so yes. I should ask you yeah. where you stand on her becoming the first female Doctor. Well, I think she's a brilliant actress. I thought some of the... Uh, That's a qualified, that's a qualified yeah, it approval. it is, because I, I don't think we totally needed to have a female Doctor Who. I think we could have had other female-led uh, dramas. And, uh, but I'm so, I'm, I'm so uh, actually, 
you know, I'm such a fan of Jodie Whittaker that I'm, I'm now actually almost totally behind it. So I've sort of changed my mind a little bit. But she she knows that what Peter Capaldi earned. Uh, so mm. she, so uh, uh, hopefully she hasn't already signed the contract on pay. Uh, but if they tried to stay, and he her, was in the two hundred yeah, to two hundred and fifty yeah. category. So which is yeah. what you might expect. It's one of their their biggest exports. Um, so. Uh, Mm. The idea that 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 she might be paid less than that would look be very troubling indeed. And just come back to RTE finally, is there any sense um, that the earnings of the stars on RTE will have increased in the past uh, few years? Um, I mean, Ryan Tuberty <laughs> topped it, didn't he, with four hundred ninety-five thousand euro in two thousand and fourteen? I, I, I think we're still. Uh, it'll be interesting because 20, 2015 was probably before this latest downturn, so there might have been some sense of them coming out of, of a financial crisis in 2015 before it sort of starts to slip back again. But it just depends on when the contracts were renewed. So I think generally speaking, the, the trend is still of one of, of, of deflation, even at the top. As I say, I think, uh, you know, they obviously splashed the cash on uh, by uh, poaching uh, Ray Darcy back. Mm, mind you, they lost Pat Kenny. They lost Pat Kenny. Well, there, I mean, or to, you know, that's another reason actually to method of keeping salaries down because, it, you know, Pat Kenny's transfer to News Talk wasn't generally seen as a, a totally massive success. Sean O'Rourke has pretty much got twice, more than twice mm. his uh, he's audience. brought more listeners, hasn't he, to that slot on News Talk? He has, yes, but... Uh, think like you know RTE are, are pretty happy that they they're that, that the platform shall we say is bigger than the individual and that is the okay sometimes the people say oh we have to pay these people because they're stars but like they're stars because of, of the because slot. of the slot of, because they're on RTE so it's a real chicken and egg argument so I mm. think that we okay. need to probably need to bring down the total bill and, a little and bit. And finally will we be seeing this kind of disclosure from the BBC on an annual basis or was this a once-off? I think it might have been a once-off because they've changed the they've changed the organisation structure. There's a new subsidiary, subsidiary there called BBC Studios, so we might not get the disclosures in quite the same way again. But they've committed to uh, reviewing their gender uh, pay gap. So I'm sure if they do have a good story to tell, um, they will tell it in some sort of palatable <laughs> PR style that they that they can control a little bit better. Because obviously it was a bit of a frenzy. Uh, and people do take kind of uh, an interest on uh, in, in kind of in various you know mm. individuals. Is, but is there any sense? I know the, the Oireachtas is off at the minute; they're on their summer break. But is there any sense when they come back that perhaps an Oireachtas committee might jump on this and call in RTE and say what's going on? What are what are the real figures uh, in terms of? gender gap and pay and so forth I definitely think it's a pretty solid prediction that they will <laughs> that they will call in RTE right. on this um, but you know uh, look um, the doll isn't the most uh, gender balanced organisation uh, alright all right, I'm going to stop either. you there we'll not get into that <laughs> that's one for the politics podcast I, I think I'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll end it there thank you Laura ok that's it for this week from Inside Business my thanks to Derek Scally and Laura Slashery Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Let me remind you that this podcast is available to download for free from iTunes and it's also on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed each day on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.